My jungle will lure you in, with paths that are deceptively apparent and secrets that will never be uncovered. Silver starlight may show you the way, shape-shifting shadows will lead you astray. So open your eyes, I shall show you a world etched deep in my mind and free from your kind. Only the greatest explorers of the unknown, those who are willing to lose themselves can unravel the enigma. For the essence of the jungle lies not in being found, but in getting lost. Welcome to Thorn's Jungle. Alright everyone, hope you've had a good week. Um, I was going to put an episode out a bit earlier in the week, but a few bits and pieces came up, so sorry for the delay. Uh, this episode is going to be cool, I'm looking forward to it. Um, cause I'm actually writing a book at the moment and talking about some of my wildlife adventures, uh, will sort of rejog my memory in writing my book. So talking about this one adventure we did, uh, would definitely help jog my memory. And, uh, this adventure basically set the course for my on-screen career as a wildlife TV host. Uh, this is the first wildlife documentary I ever did. You know, as a kid, I was always obsessed with animals, always had such a passion for animals, like, obsessed with them. You know, from the age of three or four, I can remember, you know, getting told off by teachers at school for reading a animal encyclopedia rather than a Roald Dahl novel. You know, I was always known as the animal man. Um, and then... Something shifted when I got a little bit older. You know, I was working working with animals. I was working as a field zoologist. Uh, I decided I want to do wildlife documentaries. I want to be on screen. I love talking about animals. I love adventure. I want to be a wildlife TV host. And I think it's important uh, to look at yourself... And look at what you want to be and who you want to be and do as much possible in between to try and get there. So I think I had an image in my mind for my entire life of who I ultimately wanted to be and what I wanted to be. And throughout my life I took them steps uh, to get there. And for me that perfect image of who and what I wanted to be was like a wildlife adventurer, like Indiana Jones, but of the uh, animal world, you know? And it's, I don't think fake it till you make it comes into play. It's more be that hero character in your own sort of adventure movie and do what you can to get there. It's not faking it if it's who you are. You know, so have that image, that end goal of who and what you want to be and become it. So you're be basically you're becoming your perfect self, the person that your five-year-old self would be proud of, you know. And this uh, documentary, The Temple of the Viper, was the first step I made to getting there. And it was back in 2013... Um, 
again, I was working as a field zoologist, but also running my own business where I'd go out to bushland areas that were about to be uh, bulldozed to build houses. And I'll trap and relocate the animals to a safer area, more permanent bushland. And my, my grandparents uh, gave all their grandkids $5,000 when they turned 16 um, to spend either on like a car or preferably like a trip somewhere, you know, an experience. And, you know, my sister went to London. Um, my brother went, I don't know, he went snowboarding somewhere, I think. Um, but I, I was 21 and I still hadn't used it. And I went, I'm going to use this to fund a documentary. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't quite know what I was going to do the documentary on yet. Uh, I was sort of rattling my brain. And then randomly, I got this image of this snake in my head that always fascinated me as a kid. I used to have this snake book when I was about five or six. And there was an image of a temple viper in the book. And it was the most beautiful snake I've ever seen. Now, the temple viper is also known as, well, more commonly known as the waggler's pit viper. Uh, Trovidolamus waggleri. Uh, but it's called the temple viper purely because of this one temple in Penang. So I'm sitting there and I, I just randomly, that's what I do. I get thoughts in my head about an animal and I go... I want to learn more about it. And ultimately, you get to know a crap load about animals <laughs> doing that. Every day I'm learning about new stuff. It, you know, that's when you're, you know, a wildlife guy, you always have to keep keep up. And so I'm looking at this, uh, doing a bit more research into the Temple Viper, and there's this legend about this temple in Penang, which is an island off Malaysia. Um... And this temple is infested with these temple vipers, these waggler's pit vipers. And then straight away, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do the documentary on. You know, I already had a camera, a fairly decent digital SLR. Um, but then I went and bought a bit more bits and pieces like microphones and just all your general gear. Um, and then my next point of business was to find somebody to come with me. You know, obviously I'm not going to pay them with, you know, this is just a self-funded amateur documentary. Um, so I asked a few friends, I'll pay their airfares and accommodation. I asked a few friends and one of them was kind of interested. Um, so I was like, all right, let's start looking at flights. Um, but I was out working in the bush and I had my brother Scott with me. Because uh, when you're working out there, the clients often require you to have two people for safety reasons. So I'd bring my brother out. I still do. Um, and then I got a text message from my friend saying he couldn't come with me to Penang. So I was like, ah, oh, shit. Like, who's going to come film me? And Scott sitting next to me goes, I'll do it. I was like, really? Sweet. I mean, Scott's got an interest in animals as well. He's not an animal guy, but he certainly does have an interest. And it was perfect. I was like, sweet. Let's do it. So we booked it, um, flew to Penang, and Penang's awesome. It's not very big, and it's sort of off the north part of Peninsula, Malaysia. As we're flying in, you know, you could just see greenery, 
Uh, you could see palm trees. It's a beautiful airport. And we, um, I mean, I had to find a hotel that was sort of close to the jungle because the reason for me wanting to do this documentary, our sort of goal and story with the documentary was to basically figure out why and how all these vipers got to this temple. You know, why are they there? And also to see if we could find a temple viper in the jungle as well, because that could sort of help um, with the storyline of, you know, they're coming from the jungle to the temple or, you know, what's going on. So I had to find a hotel close to sort of a jungle access. We found a really nice, well, it wasn't nice. I mean, it was, it, it was fine. Um, and it was really close to the Penang National Park, so it was actually perfect. Um, and, you know, first day we get there, we're sort of figuring out, we found this wicked curry place across the road, had the best butter chicken I've ever eaten, and Scott agrees with me, he's always, Scott's a really good cook, and he's really interested in, um, in cooking and all that, and he's still trying to find out, like, trying to match his butter chickens to see how close he can get it, to that butter chicken we had in Penang. Um, but yeah, so we, we go, all right, let, let's go out to the national park and um, you know see how easy it is just to get into the jungle. So we get to the national park and it's full of tourists. You know, It's full of litter because most of these tourists, they just don't care about anything. They just throw their bottles around. I was like, we can't film here. This is bad. Like, this is... This isn't the jungle. So we sort of walk out of the entrance of the National Park and walk maybe, you know, a kilometre down the road. And we see this uh, other road that leads up to this, like, kind of forestry station, I guess. We walk up there and there's no one there. No one's there. There's no tourists. There was a few people swimming in this kind of river thing at the front, but there was this path this like little, I mean, it really wasn't a path. It was just like almost a game trail that led up the hill right into the jungle. And we walk up there and it was the perfect, uh, perfect entrance to the jungle. You know, there was no one, no one there. No one would walk up this path and go there because the path at the top kind of stopped and then you're just bush bashing through jungle. So this was our perfect entrance into the jungle. This is where we'd be doing the majority of the filming, sort of away from the snake temple. So we film a few bits and pieces, uh, get some pretty good footage, you know. Um, go back to the hotel, <laughs> we're going through the footage, and it, it's fucked. <laughs> the footage is like, so pixelated, it's completely unusable. And this is because the jungle's a dark place. And when you're filming in a dark place, your natural instinct is to turn the ISO on the camera right up. So it brightens the brightens everything. But this is a mistake because when you brighten the ISO in a dark place, you get what's called artifacts. So it just looks like little pixels flicker, flickering around everywhere. So we're like, oh man, this is bad. I was, and I could see Scott was disappointed because, I mean, he's not a professional cameraman. He knows, he's a very intelligent person and he knows his stuff, but he's not a professional cameraman. So I could see he was disappointed with himself, but it, you know, it's not his fault. So we spent the rest of the day sort of 
trying to figure out how to get this the best settings for this camera. And yeah, we did. We went back walking through the jungle and what, what we'd do is we'd get a taxi to that uh, forestry center, uh, walk out. We didn't have a GPS or nothing, just a, a compass, but we'd walk straight out into the jungle for the day and then basically take our bearings on the compass and then make our way back, you know? And when you're walking eight, 10, 12 hours in the jungle, it's, it, it wears you out, hey? Like, you, you would be lucky to clear, you know, half a kilometer to a kilometer in, in an hour or two because it's hard going, it's so thick. And, you know, we're finding some cool stuff, getting some cool segments, you know, I'll catch a skink. But basically with, well, what I found with wildlife, doing, doing wildlife documentaries, you have a, a goal animal, so get that first. Find that animal first, and then you can sort of relax a little bit, and then do all the in-between shots, like the intros and catching other animals in between. Uh, but, you know, I caught a few skinks. Uh, we had organized to go to the Snake Temple a couple of days later. But because that's the good thing about this documentary was we didn't have to go out necessarily and look for the animal because it, apparently they're infesting this temple. So they're always going to be there. So we could have relaxed a little bit. But then we, I did want this other segment where we found a temple viper in the actual jungle. So we got some cool segments, some skinks. Um... I remember one day we were out there and it just started belting down with rain. Probably one of the most heaviest rains I've ever been in. Like, so you could barely see in front of you, it was that heavy. And there was this like abandoned, sort of smashed up, uh, like electric room or something. I don't know what it was, but it just it was just basically four concrete slabs that made a little cubicle just out in the middle of the jungle that, you know, the roof was kind of collapsed in, something like that. And we sort of took shelter under there from the rain. I mean, we we're already soaking wet, but it like, you know, we've got all the equipment and stuff, so we didn't really want to get that soaked. And we're standing there and we can see this little thing plodding along the floor. I'm like, what the, what the hell is that? <laughs> so we run out there and it's, um, a spiny hill turtle, also known as a cogwheel turtle. They've got a bunch of names. But they, they're they a turtle that it, their shell is really cool. It's like spiked, like a, like a ninja star. And it was really cool. So we got a wicked segment on that. And later we found, actually found another one. And it turns out that these uh, turtles come out in the rain to mate with each other. So that's what they were doing. That's why we found a, a couple of them that day because they wanted to have a have a bit of a root, <laughs> which in Australia means to mate. Um, so that was a cool segment, uh, and the rain was really cool. You know, they're gap fillers in a documentary, so maybe they go for a couple of minutes, but they're to ultimately fill up time, uh, you know, whether or not you want it, the documentary to be half an hour or 50 minutes, an hour, whatever. Right, so now it's time to go to the snake temple. This is maybe a few days later. And we get in the taxi and the snake temple is probably about an hour away from our hotel. And I've seen photos of this place, but 
mainly just the inside. And we're on this big highway, you know, this like four lane highway. And there's like a strip mall kind of thing. Not, well, not even. It's like a little like t- like shoulder of the road that was just kind of had a few like cafe, well, not cafes, but like hawker st- stalls, you know, selling food. Um, one little stall selling uh, like teddy bears and toys. And the taxi pulls in there. I'm like, oh, maybe he needs, needs to refill on petrol or something. But not. He's like, yeah, this is a snake temple. I'm like, what? It's like right on the side of the bloody road, on the side of a highway. And yep, there it is. There's this massive uh, concrete staircase, and there's the temple sitting at the top. And this temple isn't what you would think. It's not like an Indiana Jones jungly temple ruins kind of thing. It looks like a, you know, extravagant Chinese restaurant. <laughs> essentially it's painted red it's got the gold dragons it's got like the pillars out the front and it just looks like a chinese restaurant i'm like oh okay you know with the hanging lanterns and stuff and so we walk up there and there's a few chinese tourists and worshippers which which was good to see because there's i hate tourists i i hate them i'll avoid them at all costs i've never been on a tour in my life i just go out there and do it myself I'll never do a jungle tour. I'll just go, I'm out there by myself. Um, so we walk in and it's not very well lit, but I could instantly make out the shape of a snake just hanging there from this, it looked almost like a wooden chandelier, but with no lights or anything. Just And, and immediately when I saw the first one, all the other ones started coming out the woodwork. And it... We're surrounded by vipers. And I'm like, no way. That is like, I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, walking around going, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. It was amazing. Such a weird thing to see. You walk into a temple and there are venomous vipers within a few inches of you. Yeah, they're hanging on the urns. They're, um, you know, wrapped around a candlestick, hanging from the ceiling. So I'm like, oh, get the camera out, get the camera out, start filming. I start doing some talking. Uh, scenes, um, a few scenes where a few shots of me walking into the temple, a few close-ups of the viper, and then this little old lady comes up and she doesn't speak a word of English. How dare she not speak English in her own country, <laughs> which is predominantly Chinese-speaking, Malay-speaking. Nah, I'm joking. We, we, you know, that's up to us to learn their language if we're going to try and communicate with them. She's like trying to ask us what we're doing. And I thought it'd be a good idea to go, oh, we're from a production company, like working for National Geographic or something like that. Turns out it's not because that means they want money. (laughs) You know, if we just went in there and didn't say a word and just said, oh, we're just filming for for the sake of it, we would have been fine. But she's getting a bit grumpy with us. She's asking for money and stuff. And then this young boy comes out that I think works there as well. Well, I'm assuming he does. He walks out. He's probably only like 15, if that. And he's sort of... He's cool to us, you know. He sort of talks her, talks to her and she's kind of walk, you know, wanders off. And he takes us into this other room. And this other room's got like even more vipers in it. And there's some in tanks. I think there was even a Burmese python or two in a big tank. 
but there was, you know, other, other snakes hanging around, and there was a door out to a garden area, and me and Scott are sort of just having, you know, filming stuff, and the kid's like, oh, do you want to hold one? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, hell yeah, I do. So he's like, all right, walks off, comes back, holding this bloody viper, just like you would a tame python. I'm like, Jesus Christ, he's just free-handling this viper. <laughs> and he just, here, here you go. So I'm like, all right, grab it, grab this thing. Now, these temple vipers are toxically venomous, and a bite will put you in hospital for a few days at least, could cause, you know, muscle, uh, your muscles to basically eat away. You know, you can get necrosis, like, Apart from one of these vipers, you know, I think they got myotoxin and stuff. I'm not sure if there's a hematoxin in there, but it'll ruin your day or two. You know, they, they're not to be messed with. So I'm holding this thing and it's, it's got its head just sitting on my arm. It's licking my arm and stuff. I'm like, this is insane. And a lot of people ask me, were they defanged or were their venom glands taken out? Now, when a venomous snake's venom glands are taken out, they're called venomoids. But the thing is with uh, pit vipers, vipers, they got massive venom glands and you can see their heads are bulging and that's because you know, the back of their head's like their venom glands. And you can tell if their venom glands are taken out because there's a massive suppression on either side of their head, like indentation. Their head basically like concaves because the venom glands are taken out. There's no uh, you know, structural integrity in their head anymore with the venom glands gone. So you could tell. And also, they can take their fangs out. They can pull their fangs out, but the fangs do grow back. And I'll tell you what, they had their venom glands and they had their fangs. We saw one of it yawn, one of them yawn, and oh yeah, it had fangs. So this was a full weaponized viper that I'm holding. And some vipers are more chilled out than others. Some are a bit more reluctant to bite than others. But at the end of the day, it's still a viper. And there was probably 200 of them at this temple just hanging around. As we're filming, and I'm holding this viper, uh, right next to my foot is one sitting under a bloody, uh, like a roof tile, just sitting there. Oh, far out, this is like, you. this is a very strange experience, you know. All my life training to handle snakes, venomous snakes, this just goes against everything that I've, all my experiences and training, you know, just free handling a viper. And then it, we're walking around and picking up other ones. And we got wicked footage, you know, there was this big garden area and this vipers are hanging out in this garden area. And this temple is an old temple and the, the legend is that a monk came and made it like a refuge for these vipers from the surrounding jungle, something like that. Anyway, we got wicked footage and, you know, we're like, all right, we got enough, we'll leave. We walked out and there was like a little cafe next door and we're sitting there. I'm having a Diet Coke, Scott's probably having a beer. I don't think I actually drank that much on this trip. Normally, I'll drink, but this trip I, I didn't, I don't think I was smoking either. But yeah, we're sitting at this cafe and man, there's like a pot plant next to us and there's two vipers sitting it like outside the temple a little bit down the road you know they're making their way out to the cafes 
<laughs> it, it, it was it's an extraordinary thing to see and as we come out onto the road to get into the taxi there's an injured viper crossing the road heading towards the cafes and the the shop workers come out with a dustpan and broom and just brush it up into a pan and just put it in the bin I mean this thing's still alive I mean it's a it was had a fatal injury it was going to die but I was like oh come on you gotta you know do the right thing and put this thing out of its misery just give it a bonk on the head or you know cut its head off just get it out of its misery but nah straight in the bin oh far out this place is extraordinary (laughs) so when we when we go back to the hotel after this you know we go through the footage footage is great it's like you get this sense of we can breathe now we got the we got the meat and potatoes of the documentary we got the important bit the most important bit was the the snake temple um and what was what's cool about when I do these documentaries like we're not on a full tight schedule I mean we are because we only have like maybe two weeks at a certain place but we definitely have play time you know we can go down to the markets we can go you know go go to the shops maybe go for a swim uh well especially on this one on other ones it's been like there hasn't been shops and we're not we're like basically in a tiny little town where there isn't anything to buy Uh, but on this occasion it was pretty cool so you know most of the other days were spent out in in the jungle getting footage looking for a wild temple viper and we found like this a wicked cave that was just like a cave basically you see on cartoons where it's just like a hole like tunnel and we walked down there and there was water it was pretty cool but it was dodgy as well because we'd be walking uh, and all of a sudden the floor would just collapse away from you and your foot would just go straight down because there's a cave down there that you don't know about and sort of rocks and debris has built up on top and it just looks like terra firma it just looks like this, the, the ground the jungle floor but you could fall and just disappear into the floor of the jungle and you'll never, ever get found. No matter what, you they ain't finding you. So that was pretty scary, eh? <laughs> um, we, oh yeah, that's right. The monitor lizard, I caught a big water monitor, Varanus Salvatore. And they're like, this, they're the second biggest lizard in the world. They get to about two and a half meters long and pretty damn heavy. And we're walking down uh, this part of the jungle that was sort of bordering on the beach. And I saw this monitor lizard because I wanted to catch one. That was a goal of mine was to catch one for the camera. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, damn, that thing's huge. This thing was about eight, eight foot long. Hey, and it was built like a brick shit house. Hey, it was a tank and it, it starts running and I'm running after it. And as I'm running, I'm going, this thing's going to absolutely destroy me. Well, I can't jump on this bloody thing. This thing's bigger than I am. It'll, this thing's going <laughs> thing's gonna to mess me up. Like, what am I doing? So it got away and I'm kind of like, 
kind of pleased because once I grab a hold of that tail, that thing's spinning around to give me a good bite and that thing will like take a pound of flesh right off me like in one bite and it, that's not including the claws that it's going to use. Um, so yeah, that one got away. <laughs> and then as we're walking, we see a smaller one. It was maybe five foot, maybe five and a half. Uh, I'm like, perfect, I can get this one. I strapped the GoPro to my head. Scott's filming from a distance. I run after this thing, jump on it. It, it was a wicked scene. I was so, so glad I've got that water monitor scene because that, that's what I wanted. You know, when making these documentaries, you get the meat and potatoes of it, which are the main quest animal you're after and whatever makes up that storyline. And then in between, you always have animals in mind that you really want to catch for camera. And water monitor was definitely on there. Um, and yeah, so after that, like we're spending more days in the jungle. Uh, we slept in the cave. Uh, and in the morning found a baby uh, temple viper. You know, it was only maybe a, a week old. Uh, sitting on a, like a sapling. I was like, sick, this is a wild temple viper. Awesome. Uh, we got that footage. That was really cool footage. And then we found a sort of sub-adult temple viper as well. So basically we've got everything we need. Now we can relax and just do uh, the in-between shots. You know, you get B-roll. B-roll is shots of like close-ups of plants or your feet walking. Just things that you can put in between to fill gaps and sort of fill the storyline. You know, stock footage of animals, scenery shots, things like that. And one another thing I really wanted to film was a pitcher plant. Pitcher plants are carnivorous plants and they're, they're awesome. They've got like cups on them, like jugs. And animals will crawl in and fall down and then the plant essentially eats it. The breaks them down over time and there's certain en enzymes in that uh, pitcher that break them down. They're called monkey cups as well in Southeast Asia because you'll see monkeys come up to them and because they've collected water in these cups, the monkeys will sit there and have a drink out of them. So they're pretty cool and I really wanted to, uh, wanted to film one, but we couldn't find one. It's like, God damn, I really wanted to film one. And we ended up going to this botanical garden place because we wanted to get some cool, I guess, I don't actually know why we went there. I think we we're just killing time and may as well. We might see some cool uh, landscape shots and stuff. But they had like a little nursery there and they sold pitcher plants. So I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. I buy one, buy pitcher plants in a pot and everything. Um... We go go have a drink at the cafe there. I'm having a coconut drink. And the bloody monkeys are going feral there. They're basically trying to rob the rob the cafe. You know, that's what they do. They're running in, causing a ruckus. Anyway, so I've got this pitch plant. We get in the taxi, drive out to the jungle, and I plant, plant it in the jungle. And, hey, on camera I found a pitcher plant. You know, we don't often do that, do that kind of thing. Um, we do, we have caught animals and then bagged them and then taken them back to film, 
you know, when you're a bit more prepared and stuff or like you catch it and then go, all right, come over here, come over here, then re-catch it on camera because sometimes you're walking and you don't have the camera switched on recording 24-7. So you could be walking and bang, there's a snake. You run over and grab it and then the camera's not ready so then you let it go. All right, you're ready, you're filming, then run. Um, but, you know, most wildlife shows will... I mean, this is something we've never really done, you know, but most wildlife shows will go out there and get people that work at reptile parks or zoos and stuff, and then they'll bring out the animals for them and then they'll pretend to catch them. The good thing about these documentaries that I did, well, the self-funded ones that I produced and hosted and that, they were as real as you could ever get, you know, compared to other wildlife TV shows. Um, yeah, so that was the only one we were kind of like, ah, screw it, let's just plant it. Say so we found it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, let's try to think other cool. Oh, yeah, we found giant mud skippers, which was awesome. Um, no, Penang's a cool place. I'd really love to go back there. It's like, I guess, I think it's kind of underrated. You know, there's not a lot to do, I guess. It's not like you go to Bali and there's bars and restaurants and stuff. It's, it's not really like that. It's, uh, yeah, but I would love to go back just because that was sort of the birthplace of my TV career. And this was the first documentary I did, uh, that led up ultimately to me filming, uh, doing Kings of Pain, which was for a network television for network TV. And uh, this was the first of four full-length documentaries I did that was fully self-funded by myself. And we ended up going to... And what I'm going to do is, in other episodes, I'll be talking about other documentaries I did and sort of the behind-the-scenes of, of them. One, you know, Borneo, India, uh, Peninsula, Malaysia. So I just thought you'd like to know how I kind of got into it. And I got into it purely from just getting out there and doing it myself. And coming back with all the footage from... Oh, yeah, sorry. We got attacked by monkeys as well, which isn't a first for me. I always get attacked by monkeys. They steal stuff from you and then go for you. And so, yeah, we got attacked by monkeys too, which was pretty funny. It's always a laugh, but... Yeah, monkeys, you don't want to mess with them. I mean, these are long-tailed macaques. They weigh like you know, 20, 30 kilos, they're big, they're like the size of a medium-sized dog. Um, but yeah, all the footage we got, I took back home, and like, I've never edited thing uh, anything in my life. So, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I put all the footage onto the computer, I think I was trying to, I was using, um, movie maker or something just the default program that came with uh, your mac and there were certain things i couldn't do like i couldn't do a cutaway where you're talking and then you put a bit of um a, like a close-up of the snake as you're talking on top just things like that you couldn't do so i'd edited quite a bit of it and i'm like this just isn't working eh? and the voiceovers like with the this i guess version of movie maker when I was talking, doing my voiceover, the background sound was going down. So I didn't want that. Then finally I got downloaded, and I'm doing quote unquote legally, uh, Final Cut, and it was awesome. And that's what I use 
used for all my other docos, documentaries was Final Cut. And I'll tell you what, like, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I got pretty good at editing. You know, for someone that has never edited a thing in their life, uh, it looked pretty good. And, it, yeah, I, I was really happy with it. So happy with it, actually. And then for another two documentaries, uh, Scott came out and filmed the other two with me. And I'll talk about them in a, in a later podcast. Uh, but that's how my on-screen wildlife TV host career sort of started. And, you know, from going from there to... I did Temple of the Viper, then I did the Bear Cat of Borneo, then I did uh, the last... Yeah, the, oh no, The Last King of India. And then I did... The Tale of the Tabia. Actually, how many have I done? Temple of Viva, Bear Cat of Borneo, Tale of the Tabia, and Last King of India. So I did four full-length ones. Uh, Scott wasn't with me in, on the India one. Uh, that is going to be a long-ass podcast. <laughs> that was insane. I can't wait to talk about that one. Uh, but yeah, Scott Scott was cool. He, he, he loves it as well. So it's cool having him having him there. And he knows he knows what's going on when we go out there now. Um, but yeah, so that led me to Kings of Pain, ultimately. If I didn't do these documentaries, I wouldn't have gotten noticed with production companies and, and TV networks. So that that's how you get into these sort of things. If you want to be something and someone and have a dream, just go out and do it. And then the rewards and the, the more opportunities will come later. You're not just going to get a phone call from a TV network saying, oh, we want you on a show. Because they don't know what you look like on camera. They don't know what you're going to be like. And I sucked on camera in these documentaries. I was so robotic. I was so, uh, you know, trying to be the typical host, a TV host. And it, it was kind of boring. Because... The when when I started doing Tale of the Tapia and uh, the Last King of India, which was about Asiatic lions, I was started to be more myself and it was way more um, relatable, way more easy to watch. You know, I was funny, it was jokes. And then when I did Kings of Pain, it was even better because they were like, "No, we just want you to be yourself. Just talk normally, like you would talking to a mate, you know, a friend." So that, that, that was the key thing that I learned was just be yourself and just talk shit. Do, do what you normally would. Don't talk to the camera like you're reading from a teleprompter. And yeah, it, it was a really good bit of like an eye opener. Um, but yeah, you, you can watch the full length of Temple of the Viper on YouTube. Just YouTube Temple of the Viper or YouTube Wild Mysteries. Like search that. You can watch the full length on there um, oh yeah and I've got long hair in it too I've got hair like down in my belly button and it's ponytailed so I look a lot different than I do now and then the other three documentaries uh, that we did later I was obviously got a haircut and stuff but at that point in time I hadn't had a haircut in over 10 years and it's noticeable <laughs> but yeah that like the advice I can give to to anyone out there that wants to doesn't necessarily have to be wildlife stuff I mean I put in the hard yards with wildlife 
you know, I've been researching and reading about wildlife since I was four years old. I would go out there and catch snakes. I would, my, I was obsessed with them. That's all I thought about for 31 years of my life. And I'm, I'm 31 now. I, all I thought about was animals. I would feel guilty if I thought about something else. You know, if I thought about, you know, getting into bodybuilding or something, because I went through a gym phase, I would feel guilty that I was taking a little chunk of my thought about animals and putting it into something else. I'd feel guilty. And then, you know, throughout my whole life, I've always worked with animals. So the next step was I wanted to teach people about animals on camera. And that's what I'm doing, and hopefully I can do it until I die. You know, and if I never get another TV show, I will continue to make these self-funded documentaries because I love doing them. And that, and that's a big um it's a big thing with it is you got to love it. Otherwise it looks like people will notice that on screen. If you don't love what you're doing, they'll know if you look passionate and so interested. Every animal I catch on camera, I'm like, "Oh fuck, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen." Even if it's a tiny little skink. So that passion does come through with everything you do. And I mean, if you want to be a rock star, you can be a rock star. You just got to have that ultimate goal and then fill in the gaps in between of how you get there. And every little thing counts. You know, I found social media was awesome with me. I mean, most of the production companies that, you know, I was getting product, maybe two or three production companies a week emailing me. Um, and that, that, they'd found me on Instagram. But to get the content, for my Instagram, for these production companies to see, were from these wildlife documentaries and the work that I was doing with wildlife. So if I didn't have the content there on social media, I wouldn't have had the production companies notice me. If I didn't do these documentaries and work with animals since the day I was basically walking, um, you know, so everything comes into play. Everything's like a, you know, like a tree. It just branches out. Everything you do will affect your ultimate goal. So just make sure you're always going in that direction, you know, whether it be posting a photo a week on Instagram or doing a little YouTube video, just something, just to get out there and do it. If you want to be a bloody, you know, if you want to be a wrestler, start wrestling, start, start in the backyard, start smashing each other in the backyard. Then, you know, go to a wrestling school and beat people up there and, you know, everything's a process. And I was so lucky that I knew what I wanted to do since I was four years old. I always wanted to be this. I always wanted to be where I am now. And I'm lucky because there are people out there that... You know, there are people that live their entire lives and don't know what they wanted to be or what they wanted to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's actually quite normal. It isn't normal to know exactly what you're going to be since the age of four. And now you're 31 and... You still you're there. You're like that's what you are. You know that's that's actually super rare. Um, but you can you can take this and use it in every, every in everyday life. You know whether it be your job, if you want to be better at your job, you want to move higher in your job. Every little thing counts. Just make sure you're always on track. You know. And my advice to you is, be that person you know you are, and be that person you want to be be the ultimate you you know I don't, I'm <laughs> went into a bit of a motivational speech there but that's that's what it comes down to you know the, 
the human potential's there, you just gotta grab it. The world is yours, take it. It's up for grabs. It's it's your your world. Everyone else is just in it. Make that world work for you. People can fail at a job they hate doing. So work something you do something you love and if you fail at least you fail doing something you love. That's that, that's what it's all about. Alright, anyway, watch the documentary, The Temple of the Viper. It's pretty good for an amateur first attempt. <laughs> Alright, I'm not going to leave it this long in between podcasts, you know, it was over a week and I'm sorry for that, but yeah, I was, I was preoccupied writing the book, and so stay tuned and have an awesome weekend. Woohoo, it's a cheat day for me, so I get to shove uh, probably five kilos of junk food down my dirty neck. That's what I do. I look forward to my cheat days. I go to the gym all week. I diet during the week and then the weekend is a free-for-all and it's grotesque the amount of food and calories I put into my into my body on the weekend. So whatever makes you guys happy on the weekend, do it. And I'll see you next time on the next episode of Thorns Jungle. Take it easy, everyone. <laughs>